He's in Bedford, which is much better than the hospital. He's, he's blessing them today and being blessed by them. Hey, thank you for your continued support of the Afghanistan situation and your donations are fantastic. No more balls, right? Um, and Sean for the last couple of weeks has been talking about the Christian family that we know over there. That, is still in process, so continue to pray. There's so much danger of always telling Matt, it's kind of like a, one of those movies you would watch. It's just so almost surreal, uh, but we hope that at some point they'll be here and standing on this stage, but uh, a lot of prayer is needed. Father Abraham had many sons. Anybody know that? Huh? 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 Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, I am one of them, so are you. And so let's all just praise the Lord, you know? And so right arm, left arm, right foot. So, uh, so I don't know, four or five weeks ago, uh, we were in a teaching team meeting and uh, we were talking about this sermon. And so I started singing that song and Sean just cracks up. I said, you know, I'm funny, but I, dude, I'm not that funny. And Everybody's looking at him like, what is wrong with you? Take a soccer ball to the head? No, he, he, he said, no, I had this nightmare about this song. He said, just recently, I, I, I had the nightmare. I was praising the Lord very enthusiastically, robustly singing that song. I did my right arm, my left arm, right foot. When I got to my left foot, it was either missing or stuck or something, and it wouldn't praise the Lord. And so he woke up in a holy terror. So when we get to heaven, if Sean's missing a foot, we'll, we'll know what happened. Just couldn't praise the Lord. You know, Abram, I'm gonna use Abram, Abraham interchangeably because same guy. But he is a, a fascinating character. Three major world religions look to him as their father. Every Jew, every Christian, every Muslim says Abraham is my father. The Core 52 book has some great stats in it. It says that 0.2 of the world's population claims to be Jews, 24% of the world claims to be Muslim, and 31% of the world claims to be Christian. If you add all that up, it's basically three out of five people on earth point to Abraham as their father. Now it's very appropriate for those of us who follow Christ to say Abraham is our father, and you'll see why later. But Paul makes a great deal about this in Galatians 3 and in Romans 4. He says, if we have the same kind of faith that Abraham had directed toward Jesus, then Abraham is our father. Now, he's a, a very compelling figure because of all the stuff that happens to him and, and around him and for him. It's almost incredible. And it's almost incredible that he keeps his faith. But he does. And that's, that's instructive for us. He keeps his faith and his faith journey is one that requires, it seems to me, a lot of reassurance from God. 
Can I confess to you that I need lots of reassurance? My wife could testify, I need lots of reassurance. And, and do you ever have, <clears throat> like me, a, a low grade gnawing feeling that something's just not right? It's like, eh, something's wrong. And, and so we say, kind of stop and say, is everything okay? And then there are other times where stuff really is pressing in on us and it's a legitimate concern. And, and we look at that and, and it could really transform into full-blown anxiety. And, and it's during those times we ask the question, is everything going to be okay? I often look at my wife, Kedra, and will say, is everything okay or... Is everything gonna be okay? And, and those are rhetorical questions, really. They're rhetorical questions rooted in the kind of faith that Abraham had. And as I look at his faith and I try to analyze it and try to figure out what, what it means for us, it, it seems to me the essence of his faith is that he trusts God. He believes that God is for him, not against him, and therefore everything will be Okay, And he believes that even when it seems that God is not for him, and he believes that even when it's kind of confusing as to what God is doing or not doing. And do you ever feel that way? Do you, like, what, what? what's going on here? Why, why is this happening? Or why did God allow that to happen? And, and so we can kind of, kind of get confused and it's easy to get discouraged out of the confusion. And it's during those times that we need reassurance that God is for us and everything's gonna be okay. Today I'm gonna to talk about a very unlikely source of reassurance, covenant. Covenant, what? Yeah, I know, it's kinda of weird, isn't it? That, that word uh, just sounds so old and boring. Sean walked into my office the other day, I said, covenant, you know, how are we gonna do with that? And we just laughed. It is an ancient concept and it's not boring at all. It is so powerful. The word and the concepts around it are just a great source of reassurance. It tells us that God is faithful. God is for us. He is not against us. Everything will be okay. Covenant will knock your socks off with reassurance if you let it. And listen to this. Covenant is at the heart of Abraham's faith. If you're married, can you imagine going home and, and telling your spouse, hey, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but you need to pack everything up, uh, get everything ready, put the house on the market, we're gonna move. What? Are you nuts? Why would we do that? Where are we gonna go? Listen, I don't know, I don't know how to answer your questions. All I know is that God spoke to me and he said, we need to move, so we're going to move even though I don't know where. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He's 75, and his lovely wife, Sarah, is 65 at the time. She has faith, and she goes with him. You can read about it in Genesis 12. And in that story from Genesis 12, we're introduced to the idea of God's faithfulness, his promises to God, which become a covenant. God tells Abram, Abraham, he says, look, I'm going to give you some land. I'm gonna make you into a big nation. 
I'm gonna bless you and protect you. And the goal and the bottom line of those promises is that all the people of the earth will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham and Sarah who are 75 and 65. And you need to know that Sarah has never had a child. She's not been able to have children. Does anybody see a problem here? So the story of Abraham moves along nicely in Genesis and you'll read some of it this week in your core 52 work. We get to chapter 15 and Abraham and Sarah are now, we believe, 85 and 75 and still childless. And remember, everything is contingent upon them having a child, but they haven't had the child. So they're needing some reassurance. God keeps saying and promising all these things, but there's no baby. And so Abraham asks a very logical question about all those promises. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can, and you can't. This is how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now the story goes on and it gets kind of weird. It gets kind of gross because God says, hey, I want you to get a cow. I want you to get a goat. I want you to get a ram. Oh, and get a, a pigeon and a dove also. And I want you to kill all of them. Now I've told you before, I grew up on a farm, still live there. And, and when I was a boy, we, we processed our own beef. Ugly process. We would kill it. I'll spare you some details, but we would skin it, we would gut it, and then cut it into pieces. It's pretty gross. It's smelly, it's bloody, it's pretty gross. So when I get to Genesis 15, he just kind of says, oh, this is what he does. I am there, I am seeing this scene of Abraham doing this and I see Abraham, it's funny that the, the, the text tells us that as Abraham's laying out all the pieces of meat that birds of prey are swooping down and he's having to shoo them off. Hey, get out of here, get out of here, get off that, get off that. Buzzards are trying to come and eat it. It's a pretty weird, weird scene. And so God says, put them in a row so that you can walk between them. And so as the sun sets slowly in the west, Abraham falls into a deep God-induced sleep and the Lord speaks to him again, reassuring him that all the promises will come true, everything's gonna be okay. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, fire is associated with God's judgment, his holiness, so this is symbolically God passing through the pieces. And as he does so, he finalizes an agreement, a covenant between himself and all the people who will come from Abraham through this yet-to-be-born baby. 
this child of promise. Now don't get lost in the weirdness and the strangeness of this. People in the ancient Near East would have read that, oh yeah, we know what's going on. And we can understand it too. It's not that complicated. Basically, this was a common way of sealing a deal creating a covenant, which is a deadly serious contract and commitment. The parties were passing through the pieces of meat and essentially saying to each other, this is what will happen to me if I don't keep my end of the deal. This is what will happen to me if I break the covenant. Now, the fascinating thing about this particular scene is that Abram doesn't walk between the pieces of meat, between the animals. God alone passes through, and that that is unusual. But it's significant because it indicates that the covenant is about the promise of God. God is faithful. He is committing himself to his promises. They cannot and will not be broken. God is unconditionally for Abraham. Well, evidently, Abram wakes up to see this, and when he sees it, He knows and believes God will somehow, someway, someday keep his promise. God is for him. He knows this. God is not against him. Everything's going to be okay. Well, there's a lot more that could be said about covenant, and your Core 52 book does a pretty good job of talking about it. All the covenants, which are rooted in God's goodness and God's love for us, do require response on the part of people. The covenant with Abraham required that males be circumcised. And Paul makes a great deal about this in the New Testament. He essentially says that circumcision was simply a response to God's salvation and not an effort to earn it. You can read that in uh, Romans 4. It's about faith and it's about transformation. It's about spiritual formation. I don't want to get lost in details. Let me summarize covenant for you in this way. God loves us, is for us, not against us, and everything is gonna be okay. That's what covenant says. That's what it says. God does the work. He pays the price to make it happen. He takes the initiative. It's mostly on him, but we are required to make a response. And it's a response of faith, a belief, of trust. Abram believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, there's another story from the life of Abraham that I want to share with you, but I want to tell you a story first. I think it's probably 20 years ago or so, I went to Nashville, Tennessee uh, to a conference that was sponsored by Lipscomb University. It wasn't on Lipscomb's campus. It was at the Disciples of Christ Historical Society, which I think now has moved to Bethany College. But they had brought in Marjorie Thompson, who authored the classic book on spiritual formation called Soul Feast, which I still recommend. And she was there and she was leading us through this wonderful conference. At lunchtime, we took a break and my friends and I, we walked to a little Greek deli that was very close by around Vanderbilt campus. And so we went into this deli and it was run by Greek Orthodox Christians and they had a little gift shop there and they had little crosses and trinkets and that sort of thing. But they also had a wall of icons and and I didn't even know what icons were. But I was looking at them and I was like, wow, those are kind of really interesting. But I was captivated by one particular icon. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And one of my friends who was a professor at Lipscomb at the time was watching me watch it and I was aware of that. So I just kind of looked at him like, what is that? And he said, oh, that is the Holy Trinity icon. It's, it's one of the most popular 
It's an iconic icon. No, it's a it's a most popular icon in the Eastern Church. And so we ate our lunch and went back to spiritual formation seminar, went home, and I, I could not get my mind off that icon. And so I started doing research and I found that it was um, produced back in the early 1400s by a man named Andrew Rubloff who lived in Russia. And it was his conception of the story found in Genesis 18, the reassuring story. In Genesis 18, we have Abraham and Sarah still childless. They're 99 and 89, so the pressure is really intensifying. And so one day, the Lord, El Shaddai, God Almighty, appears to Abraham while he's sitting under a shade tree next to his tent in the heat of the day. He's probably dozing in and out, and he looks up and he sees three men approaching him. So he he shows them respect, and he begins the process of hospitality. He says, Sarah, Sarah, we have visitors. Get, get, get together a really good meal. Use the best stuff. He yells to a servant, hey, kill a fatted calf. We want to beef up this meal. So they get this really nice meal together, and these three men are sitting under the shade trees next to the tent that Abraham and Sarah live in, and while they're eating, one of the three says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Well, Sarah's in the tent. You know what she does when she hears that? <laughs> she laughs. Because she looks at her body and she thinks about Abraham's body and says, that's not gonna happen. Just sorry. And so, this is where the three men turn into something else. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Well, this icon that I was so captivated by is a powerful picture of Genesis 18 and how the Lord God as Father, Son, and Spirit show up to Abraham and Sarah. You research, I've researched this. There are many books written about this. It's fascinating. And it's about God reassuring Abraham and Sarah that the promises will be kept, everything will be okay. It's a commitment to the covenant. He's saying, keep the faith, keep believing that God is for you, not against you, and everything will work out. Everything will be okay, even though you haven't seen it fully play out just yet. Well, I was so captivated by the icon that I applied for a Lilly Endowment grant, and I actually got it. And so I went to Russia, and I... I experienced this icon. It's about this tall, about this wide. It's in a great art museum just a few blocks off the Red Square in, in Moscow. And, and I, I was there for a day in, in, uh, in that museum and 
I spent a lot of it, I'd just go do stuff and I'd come back to the icon and, and sit there and take it in and I'd just watch people come and go and so many were so moved by it and, and I was moved by it. I, I was and am moved by what it represents because it's the idea that God loves us, he's for us, he's not against us. Everything will be okay because he says it will be okay. He wants us. He wants you, he wants me in a relationship with him and with each other. He comes to us. He creates a covenant with us. He is faithful to all of that. Even though Sarah laughs in Genesis 18, as did Abraham in Genesis 17, Sarah believed God was for her. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old she believed that God would keep his promise. There's one more story from Abraham I want to share briefly. The promised child was finally born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, so clearly little Isaac was a miracle baby. And it was through him and through those who would come from him, including and especially Jesus, that all people could be blessed. Well, after Isaac finally arrives, we feel, oh, that's a great story. It's over. No, it's not over. Sarah laughs again, this time with absolute joy, and what a joy it must have been to, to finally get that uh, promise fulfilled. But here's where it gets strange and troubling. Isaiah grows, uh, Isaac grows, I'm sorry, and sometimes later, sometime later, God tests Abraham's faith. It's a hard story to read in Genesis 22. God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Again, it's a powerful, poignant, if not confusing story in Genesis 22. But the bottom line of that story is Abraham was willing. He was willing to give up his son, yet again demonstrating his marvelous faith. Hebrews 11, the preacher there, gives us some insight into Abraham's interior during that intense moment. He says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. You see, this is so instructive. Abraham believed that God was for him, not against him, and everything would be okay even in death. Even in death. Well, there's another father, there's another son, a son whose mother descended from Abraham. And there's another covenant. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world 
but to save the world through him. God is for us, not against us. And here are some of the, here are some of the dying words of the soon to be resurrected Jesus on the night before he dies. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So all the covenants in the Bible, all of the sacrifices associated with all those covenants reach to fulfillment in Jesus. His body, his blood, his life were given to seal the deal, to create the covenant that allows us to live and live forever. He is deadly serious about giving us eternal life. God is for you to the point of giving up his son. He would rather live he would rather die than live without you. That's blessed assurance and reassurance. So what does he want from us? I think the short answer is he wants a faith like Abraham's. And that faith is one that trusts that God is for us, even to the point of raising us from the dead. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 talks about when we're baptized into Christ, we're clothed with Christ. And then in verse 29, he says, this is when we become children of Abraham because we have that kind of faith that God honors. James, the brother of Jesus, says Abraham was called a friend of God in James 2 because his faith led him to obey. His faith led him to serve God. Beginning on October 24th, which is three weeks from today, we're going to offer a three-week course called Exploring Sherwood Oaks. I'll be teaching that. And so if you're new to Sherwood Oaks or new to the faith and just curious about how things are and how things work, then, then sign up. Uh, you can do that next week, I think. And, and we'll talk about how to be faithful to God. We'll talk about how to live in covenant with God. We'll talk about what he's done and how he's made the provision for us to be in relationship with him and, and what does our response look like. A few weeks ago, I got a call from a family saying, um, would you mind going to the hospital and seeing our mother? I said, yeah, I'll go, because I'd known this woman forever. And so everybody thought she was dying, including me. She didn't die. She's doing really well. But she was very upset because she'd had a, a horrible dream. She had a dream in which Satan appeared. And he, Satan was accusing her, as he does, he's the accuser. He was accusing her of not being enough, not good enough, haven't done enough. You will join me in hell because of that. She woke up terrified. And so I went and just reminded her of what she already knew. We talked about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We talked about all those things, and I can't guarantee you that I read these words, but I guarantee you that I invoked something like it. What shall we say 
about such wonderful things as these. If God is for us, who can ever be against us since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's pretty powerful. And that's the concept behind a faithful God and a covenant-making God. You know, as we prepare to take communion, we're participating in a covenant we're being reminded of the covenant that God has made with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's a powerful reminder that God is for us and not against us. And so as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, just remember that, remember that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Abraham. God, uh, we didn't talk about it in the sermon, but he is so flawed and, and uh, makes so many mistakes and commits so many sins and yet you honor his faith. God, we're the same way. We're so messed up at times and, and, and we want to believe. Help us to believe that you honor our faith, a faith that trusts that you are for us. And so when we drink this cup and, and eat this bread, we are reminded in a powerful way, yes, yes, you are for us. So help us to remember that and to live it out this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.